moderator today. Uh, welcome. Turn off your cell phones, please. Or turn one on our courses. Quick acknowledgement, we acknowledge our events take place on Blackfoot land, Blackfoot people in Maine's nation in Alberta. Pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationship to the land. Commit to do our utmost to assist with efforts to mend and heal past and present injustices. This uh, question and answer will be recorded if we can get things running. Shaw's recording. Shaw Spotlight also records SACRA presentations and uses expert excerpts from PowerPoint for the daily broadcast. Uh, please add $14 if you're eating to the, to the bowl on the table or $2 for coffee and have someone at your table count that amount of money to make sure it's right. We're going to have a 25-30 minute presentation from our speaker followed by lunch, followed by question and answer, finishing at about 1.30. Our speaker today is Joe Anglin. He's been with us for, oh, 15 years now. He's been 12 or 15 years. He's been visiting SACA on this topic, pointing out strange and undemocratic dealings about our electrical energy infrastructure. His viewpoint comes from experience in presentations in 2007, 2009, and 2014 are recorded and online on the SACPA audio archives pages. And I can give you the dates of those if you'd like to find them easily. They're very interesting in light of news. <coughs> His perspective comes from a varied background as a U.S. Marine, former, a police officer, a power system lineman, a member of the Coast Guard rescue teams, and many other roles. He was named by the Edmonton Journal as one of the top 10 people in the province who made a difference and was named by Alberta Views as one of Alberta's 50 most influential people. He served on Rimby's Town Council and was elected MLA for Rimby Rocky Mountain House. Um, and my uh, spider senses would tell me that our sound system is down because they don't want people to hear what this gentleman has to say. And I would like to now have you welcome Mr. Joe Anglin, please. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for coming out, um, but I, I do want to start. Excuse, you got a question? Thumbs up. We can hear you. Okay. Um, you don't get me going because I'll yell. Uh, but I will tell you this: if somebody here in this audience is here representing industry, uh, a ministry. Uh, a regulatory body for the sole purpose of monitoring me. Um, I'm going to give my presentation to anybody who wants it. And if somebody's recording, you're help, more than welcome to bring your recording device up so you get good quality. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that lightly. I have the dubious distinction of transcending parties. I'm probably the only Albertan you'll ever meet right now who two successive governments have hired private investigators to monitor my activities. That's serious. And I'm going to talk about the abuse of the regulatory boards and the regulatory authority and how it affects you. So th that's significant, and you need to understand that. So I'm just going to begin with about two decades ago, we deregulated electricity. You all heard about that. You've all experienced that. 
when we elected an NDP government uh, four years ago, nothing changed. Although the NDP offered to create something called a capacity market, it never got off the ground. They didn't know how to implement it. I'm not, I'm not sure it would have made a difference, to be quite honest, but we'll never know. So what we have is an energy-only market. And that energy-only market is a bidding system. And that bidding system is set up so all the utilities will bid in or offer in on an auction-type basis what they're willing to sell their electricity for. Now, some of you have fixed contracts. You want to raise your hand if you have a fixed contract? <clears throat> the rest of you have what's called the regulated rate option, RRO. Good news is nobody's taken advantage of any other person. You don't have an advantage having a fixed contract because the fixed contract, well, they lied to you. I mean, that's the only way I can, I can describe it. They lied to you. And on the regulated rate option side, they're giving you a lot of misinformation. So not one has, be, has benefited from the other. And I'm going to show you why, um, how this works. See if I can get it to work. There we go. So if you look at your utility bill and you look at how it's constructed, you will see that energy costs X amount. So some of you might be $40 a month, some might be $60 a month. But if you go home and look at your electric bill, and I'm going to concentrate on electricity for this talk, but I could do the same thing with gas. It's a, facts are a little bit different, but it correlates quite well on how you're getting gouged. But in the electricity market, you are a boring consumer. You are extremely boring because your choice of how you live your life, how you consume energy, probably hasn't changed in decades. So the power company can look at your bill, look at your meter, and it knows by heating degree days, pretty much within a certain percentile, just how much your electricity you're gonna use on a daily basis. So they figure all that out. They monitor, not you as a person, but you as a consumer. And they know exactly how much you consume, how much your neighbors consume, how much is gonna be required coming down that distribution line. When you look at your utility bill, that cost of energy is generally for a consumer is based on 1,000 to 1,300 uh, kilowatt hours a month. And you can go home and check your bill and you should fall within that range. If you're less than that, then you're quite frugal. And if you're more than that, uh, you're quite wasteful. It's just that simple. But you will fall within that range on a monthly bill. All those extra charges on your bill line loss, distribution loss, administrative charges, you name it, are all based on what I'm going to show you right here. That's based on the wholesale market. So if they told you you had a fixed price for electricity, what they didn't tell you is all those extra charges are based on a different pricing system. So in my example, you'll see that I listed coal, uh, hydro, it could, I could use anyone as an example, it could be wind power, it doesn't matter. So every hour, so if we started at noontime today, the ASO, the Alberta Electric System Operator, holds a bidding system for two hours ahead. So they're purchasing at noontime the electricity they need delivered at 2 p.m. And that's based on that predictability I just talked to you about. Heating degree days, who you are as a consumer in the history. 
So they have a fairly good idea how much they're going to need. So in my example that you see here, I have 8 megawatts is what the ASO will require at 2 p.m. So at noontime, the bidding stops, and the ASO will purchase all its electricity by noon for 2 p.m. delivery today. Now, what you don't realize is most of that electricity is offered in for free. So in my example, and someone at my table was talking about why can't I get my electricity free, actually you do every hour, but you don't because they cheat you. That's really what they do. So the ASO, you are the ASO. We transfer money to these generators when the ASO purchases the electricity. That comes out in your rate somehow. One way or another, you pay. So what happens is this. Some of the major generators, in my example I use hydro, will bid in. If I need 8,000 megawatts for 2 p.m., in my example, 4,000 megawatts are bid in for free. The next 3,800 megawatts, I put down, just for simplicity, at $45 a megawatt. And then, of course, the last 200 megawatts that the ASO requires for 2 p.m., I listed at a price of $450. Now, if I look at what this should have cost me, you, the consumer, based on the bid that came in for that hour, it should have cost you $261,000. You can just do the math. They made it out so you could be, follow along pretty simple. But what you actually pay is $3,600,000. Because everybody in that bidding system, no matter what they bid, gets the highest price that's bidded in. And that's how they play with manipulating the system. Now, in an extreme example, so you can sort of conceptualize how this works. If I needed 10,000 megawatts and 9,999 was bid in for free, but the one, the one last megawatt I needed to purchase was $500, rather than purchase $500, we're going to purchase at $5 million. Everybody is going to pay, get the same price, $500 per megawatt. And this is a system who, that works for who? Because if you tell me it's working for you, I don't see the math. And we do this every hour, and we've been doing this for 20 years. Now, the good news today for you as a consumer is, and this is metaphorically speaking, Alberta's drowning in excess electricity. And I said this years ago. They said, we just want to keep the lights on. We're running out of electricity. We're losing electricity. It wasn't true then, it's not true now, and now, of course, we have excess capacity. So that's why you see very cheap electricity prices, particularly in the wholesale market. But the mechanism for gouging you is still there, if they can figure out how to gouge you. The problem is there's a little too many players in there, and what happens is, and I'm, I'm going to use some old data because nothing's changed. I want to see you how this has progressed. So I went back in time in preparation for this and I pulled out some 2007 and 2008 data. And I, I always cite my source, so you, if you don't believe me, you can go back and check. But I can tell you this, no MLA will ever come up and debate me over this. That's a given. Um, and no UCP MLA will ever come near me in the same room. That's an order from the boss himself. So. Um, Back then, when we thought we were going to require 18 and 20,000 megawatts a day, 
which really we were up around 13,000 megawatts uh, as a peak. Six to 7,000 megawatts we were getting bid in for free. That was on a fairly regular, regular basis, but you didn't experience any free electricity. And this is where I'm going to play, spend a lot of time in my talk about uh, the regulators. The MSA is referred to as, they are the market system administrator. It's one of your regulators. And whose interests are they looking after? That's the, the theme of my talk today. Whose interests are the regulators looking after? Because if I ask the average Albertan, what is the role of a utility regulator? What's the role of an environmental regulator in this province? Most people will say, well, they're supposed to be looking after the public interest. And I have to, I'm going to show you today, they're not. And they can't because the law says they can't. So here we have the market system administrator looking at the import of cheap electricity and referring to it as uneconomic. And I want you to think about that a second when you pay your utility bill. Why is the regulator saying that cheap electricity is uneconomic for our system? Who is this system designed to benefit? That's the question I'm going to ask you to answer for me today. I like to have cattle people in the audience when I come to this slide because they get it going to the cattle market uh, once a week or once a month, however often they go to the auction mart. If in electricity the industry messes up and the entire bidding system comes in for free at zero, what the market system operator does is say rats. That didn't work too good. I needed 8,000 or 10,000 megawatts, and I'm talking into this like it's actually on, just so you know. Um, um, the, if it all comes in at zero, they clear the market and they start over again. Now, I want you to kind of conceptualize this for a second. You're bidding into a system, and you're offered your electricity in for free, but you're really hoping someone bids $500 somewhere there so you get $500 a megawatt. And all of a sudden, the, the bidding stops and the price is zero. You get to start all over again. And not only that, you get a great idea. It's like, okay, they wanted 8,000 megawatts, so we know when we get to that 8,000 megawatt level, somebody's get a bid high right around there. It's a rigged system, in my view. Now, when I began my talk, I, I mentioned about my reputation in this province. One of the things I am is very critical of this system, and that might be construed as very critical of Alberta's energy policy, and be, might make me the subject of the war room on information, and that's a serious issue. Um, but when I look at this, this isn't about propaganda. This is how the system works. I just give you a visual of how it puts together in the ASO stacking order. Nothing's changed. When the NDP got elected, I was really hoping for some change. Never got around to it. Never got around to it. Never even bothered. I mean, it wasn't an issue high enough on the, the scale of issues they wanted to deal with that it could be addressed. And it was too bad. 
because we missed an opportunity. So when I try to put my name forward to run for the UCP, because in my constituency you have to run in the Conservative Party, I was, um, <laughs> I was banned from joining the party. And, um, and then just and out of the blue one day, I got a notice I've been kicked out. And I said, that's not fair. I, I, I actually wrote them and said, I want to appeal that. I want my, my <laughs> I want my banishment canceled and I want the restoration of my banishment from, to join. So I have seniority because I got to be the only one that was denied the ability to buy a membership. But I kept buy, trying to buy a membership and I kept getting them back just to see how far they would go. Um, I, I put up these slides because I, I want to emphasize a point. If you're investing your money in energy today, you no longer have to deal with the monopoly. For a hundred years, oil and gas had a monopoly on energy investment. Simple as that. Carbon. If you want to invest in any type of energy, you're investing in fossil fuel. Today, that's changed. For the first time in a hundred years, uh, our energy markets no longer have a monopoly on investment dollars. And we're seeing that. Four years ago, years ago, a good friend of mine in Calgary might see five million, maybe 15 million invested in a renewable energy project. Today, those renewable energy projects are coming in at 250 million and 300 million dollar tranches. Now, a lot of those projects are outside this province, which is unfortunate. There's a lot of investment from a lot of the major oil companies, insurance companies, Wall Street firms coming into renewable energy. And the reason for that is this price you see right on the screen. Right now, in our own Alberta Electric System operator, the price of renewable energy is coming in at $37 and $38 a megawatt. And if you were to invest in coal right now, you would require at least $60 a megawatt. It's pure math. If I can sell you something cheaper, by the way, cleaner, I got a winner. And that's the reality we're dealing with today. And we are drowning in excess electricity in this province. And we are a net importer of electricity again. And the reason we are a net importer of electricity again, it's just cheaper across the border. And there are bio plants going in, in Washington and Idaho, along with hydro down there. And we are purchasing that electricity because it's cheaper than coming, you know, doing our coal or whatever up here. So the question comes, if it's so cheap, why are we paying such high utility rates? Why are the bottom line on our gas and electric bills so high? And, and this is a, a, a real issue for the uh, regulators to deal with. They just don't have a handle on this. And we have a government right now that's going to roll the clock back. Um, as I stated earlier, the NDP didn't do anything. Uh, you, you, you can decide whether the, how, why that was. But I know how this system came about. And I watched it slowly get delegated to the regulators to run with this. And to whose advantage was it working? 
And now we're in a situation where we have an economic downturn and we need to change what we're doing, particularly with our retail rates for our small businesses. I go out and I see small businesses and I meet them and the first thing I'll ask them is what do you pay on your electric bill? What's your cost of energy? What are those extra costs? And boy oh boy do they like to talk because it's hurting our local economies. It's one of the things we can change right now if we change our rules and regulations about how we deal with this. So you can, one, this bidding system we have, we need to get rid of it. We need to get, it's not working, it's never worked for us. We need, a, we need a system where we can take advantage of that low cost of electricity and keep it low and make that available to consumers and businesses. That's the attraction right there. If we can drive our energy costs down, we have a low tax base, we have high quality people who are educated and can be employed, that is a formula for success for changing our, our economy. So we have a choice. As we go, come into cheap, cheap oil again, Alberta's economy is hurting because we based everything on the price of oil and gas. And we are gonna change our economy. The choice you have is, are we gonna change it kicking and screaming? Or are we gonna change it with the plan? That's the only choice you have in front of you now. Sadly, I think we're kicking and screaming for a change. And um, it's coming hard. It is coming hard. So there are three, there's actually a lot more than three, but I took the three main acts that affect electricity, that control your rights as a consumer, taxpayer, and citizen around what we need to change. Now, in Alberta, we're the only jurisdiction that has what's called a two-tier approval process. Under the Electric Utilities Act is where the industry gets together and decides whether they're going to allow a project to be built based on need. You have no standing to go to those hearings. They keep consumers, ratepayers, and taxpayers out of that. Your rights are embedded in the Hydroelectric Energy Act, or referred to as the HEEA. Back in 2009, I got involved in a court case dealing under the HEEA, where the public's rights was whether or not this project met our present and future convenience and need. And I won a battle in court based on this section in the law. Two months later, it got repealed. They pulled it out. So what are your rights today? How has the law changed so that you have an ability to get involved and have a say about these projects, the windmills, the coal generators, any type of generator going in this province, or a transmission line. Because unless you have some sort of input, we're not gonna be hurt. It's that simple. So as I was preparing for this presentation, I kind of suspected nothing had been changed, and I was just shocked at what had been added and what had not been changed. But there was a famous bill I, I think I got elected on. It was called Bill 50. Some of you might remember that from about a decade ago. Uh, that bill has since been repealed. I'm the only MLA that stood up in the legislature and thanked the Prentice government for repealing it. Um, not that I particularly liked his government, but I did thank them for standing up and doing what was right. But there's remnants left over from that bill. And one of them is, you can't define what is critical to me. 
So as I asked one of my industry friends, what makes a transmission line critical? And he said, anything that we say is critical. And it's like, I think you're right. There's no case law, there's no ruling on this, no definition. It just says if a line is deemed critical, the, the commission can't refuse the approval. That, that to me has now taken the regulator and said you have no power to even ad, ad, adjudicate this process. You must approve whatever application comes in if one of the parties says this is critical. What's offensive is dealing with a generating station which could affect your community. I know down here uh, between, I believe just east of Brooks, somebody was proposing at one time a massive coal mine and a coal plant. If that would be proposed today, the board, the commission, shall not give consideration whether that's needed for you or whether that's needed for outside Alberta. How do you argue against it? If you, if you claim, wait a minute, I'm going to pay for this, because you will pay for it. These may be investments for private investors, but they put this into the rate base and you're paying. You're the consumer. Nothing gets by you, it, you're paying. So you have absolutely no right to argue whether or not a plant proposed is good or bad. That is what this section of the law says. <clears throat> and this one caught my attention because I know the stance of the NDP and I could not get a meeting with the energy minister. They wouldn't meet with me. Um, and I felt really bad about that because even Mel Knight, who really did not like me, at least gave me a meeting. Um, but if we have a renewable energy project going in uh, under the Renewable Electricity Act, the commission can't give regard to that. That doesn't make sense to me because my solution for Alberta is we gotta stop thinking of ourselves as an oil and gas province and start thinking of ourselves as an energy province. We should be leading the world in renewable technologies. We should be leading the world in every aspect of energy development because it's gonna happen with us or without us. And we have a great university system here that is right in par with any other university system dealing with energy. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that? And yet we have laws on the books that prevent our regulator from even taking that into consideration. So I took a very narrow scope of the electric, uh, Hydroelectric Energy Act and showed you some of the issues that it deals with and how it limits your rights as a consumer, taxpayer, and citizen to challenge any of these types of energy projects. And the commission itself, the agencies, the bureaucrats rely on this and say, nothing we can do about it. And they're right because that's the way the law is written. What we have to do is educate MLAs to change the law. These laws should be based on one thing and one thing only. What's in your best interest as a consumer? What's in your best interest as a community? And we're not there. We're a long ways away from there. And if I take offense at what governments have done, it is the power that they've given regulators. And 
I'm not saying that the regulators have deliberately been abusive, but there's a case that can be made. And I'm going to use my own personal experience to show you how the abuses I've experienced in the electricity market has bled over into other areas of regulation in government. Now, when I first got on this about electricity, I've had the lug nuts on my car removed twice, all of them. I've had a minister of the crown say somebody should kill me, and I had a witness to that. I've had death threats from individuals who were working on other campaigns, and I had witnesses to that. Um, and it goes on and on and on. So when I told you about the private investigators, I was dead serious. Um, most recently, I ran in an election in 2015. Uh, that was the one where the NDP got elected. This is my campaign sign. This is what it looked like. I got charged by the chief electoral officer for making a false statement about my conduct and character for putting up this campaign sign. Now, none of you can guess why. I can tell right now, just look at that. It's a campaign sign. He made me cover over the letters MLA with blue tape. And he made me put on a bigger disclosure statement at the bottom of my sign. Because he said the letters of MLA was making a false statement about my conduct and character. That's a Section 160 violation, $2,000 fine. Now, he had to drop that charge uh, two months later because it was a bit ridiculous. But it didn't stop him. I got notice on Friday of what they, I had to cover over and tape over MLA. And then all of a sudden, this is what happened to my campaign signs all across the riding. They just knocked them down, ripped them up. And I mean everyone. My riding's big. It goes from just south of Crossfield all the way up to Drayton Valley, all the way to the BC border. So they just tore all my signs up immediately. And they did it on the basis, originally, that it was a false statement. And when they dropped those charges, they claim that the letters MLA are prohibited by law. You can't use the letters MLA in any campaign advertising. Now, that's not true. But the bureaucrat, the regulator, said it was. Now, he had to drop that charge because the fact is it's not true. There's no legislation that prohibits the use of any alphabet letters. You can use any letters you'd like. Um, so he dropped that charge six months later, and he changed the charge to some of my signs were missing disclosure statements. Now, we went to court on that, and then what he did is he dropped that charge, and he said, I don't have any evidence of any disclosure statements missing, so we're going to change the charge to you used the wrong font size. <laughs> don't laugh. It's a $250 fine, and to date, he spent $3 million to try to get me to pay that $250 fine, and we're still in court. Now, what I got up here, and I see some of you reading this conversation, what I didn't know until two years after the election is who ripped out, how, did he, how was he able to rip down all my signs at once? And the two names you see up, this is an internet conversation that took place with somebody bragging. The MLA, who is now a cabinet minister, Mr. Jason Nixon, this is his campaign workers here. The chief electoral officer hired my opponent's campaign team to rip down my campaign signs. Think about that for a second.
Now that issue is my issue. What, the reason I'm showing you and what is your issue here is there is no requirement for font size at all. So how does he make that law? Well, he says he makes it law by writing guidelines. So he's saying he gets to write guidelines, and whatever he puts in guidelines are law. And I, just so I have fun with this, when people get arrogant, they think that they can get away with it. Two years after the election, this is Nixon's campaign manager taking a picture of himself after destroying one of my signs. And he posted it up on the internet. Now, like I said, the, the sign issue is mine. What is your issue is the regulatory issue of dealing with guidelines. And it's serious. It's a serious matter. I went to court and there was a Justice Wachovich. Some of you apparently know his name. What he said is the chief electoral officer is not re does not report or is not accountable to the public and is not accountable to the government. Think about that. If that's allowed to stand, that means all the other regulators can assume the same authority. That's the delegated authority. So when I look at electricity and I've looked at some of the things that they've done and how abusive they've been and what we have now as a result of what I stumbled across in an election, um, the idea that a bureaucrat, and by the way, what the law says is a chief electoral officer must create guidelines. That's what the law says. Now, the average person would say, guidelines? Well, that's just guidelines, not law. Right now in Alberta, the court has claimed whatever the chief electoral officer writes in guidelines is law. So I'm, I'm, doing, uh, I'm going all the way to the Supreme Court one more time, and I'm going to fight him on this issue. Because we cannot have bureaucrats circumventing our democratic processes. The only people that can make law, whether you agree with them or not, are the people you elect. That's it. We don't allow bureaucrats just to arbitrarily make law because it was actually two years after he ripped down my signs that he came up with a new charge that the font size was too small. This is an amazing process that I found myself in. The problem they have is they picked on the wrong guy. I'm not going away. They have tried to run me in the ground and just to, and I, I am, I'm terrible. I'm going to tell you, I'm terrible. I needed to fight this economically, so I put myself through law school. I went and I got my JD, and I write my own factums, I write my briefs, and I have a lawyer that rep represents me out of Toronto, and we run this on a shoestring budget. Um, and they're starting to complain because now they're talking about cutting budgets, and they've spent, I know they're going to file an expert opinion in the coming week, but we think it's going to run about $200,000 for that expert opinion. This is all over a $250 fine. Yep. So I just want to run that by you on a correlation of the regulatory processes and the abuses, and if we don't curb those abuses, we lose control. Thank you very much, and I'll, hear, I'll, ask, I'll answer any questions about electricity after we're done with them.